This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 337 of the Yellow Wallpots. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will overhype the 3-0 win against Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga opener and we will preview the upcoming game against 4th place FC Augsburg which will happen on Saturday and we will revel in Schadenfreude in the Schalke segment. For all that and more joins me once again Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, I'm not even gonna ask how you're doing, I'm just gonna ask how's the weather today? <laughs> Hey, Stefan, it's cloudy right now, believe it or not, which is not something that happens often in Colorado. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's cloudy. How unbelievable, are you? unbelievable scenes. Uh, also here, Adam Dorowski at Fußballswit on Twitter. Uh, a lot of people already know him from uh, his passion for the pre-assist slash hockey assist. Hello, Adam. How are you doing? Great. How are you guys doing? Do you want to introduce yourselves to new time listeners as well? Sure thing. Uh, yeah, so my name is Adam Dorowski, uh, Foosball Twit, as, as Stefan mentioned. Uh, I'm a product designer and developer. I, I do some consulting for FB Ref, which is a football stats site I hope that uh, many of you know. And uh, yeah, just a huge Dortmund fan. Glad to be here. Awesome. And uh, we obviously have a sponsor for this episode. We are completely schuldenfrei. We zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London and uh, they have launched the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast and have interviewed Raphael Honigstein this week. So please go check it out. And if you want to be a sponsor for an episode or whatever else, uh, go to patreon.com slash for more information. And now it is time to dive into the game. Emre Chan, it's in for Reina. Bellingham. And now Gio Reina with a sight of goal! And Borussia Dortmund are up and running in the Bundesliga. And it's Gio Reina's first ever goal in the Bundesliga. It's Erling Haaland's first ever penalty in the Bundesliga. Can he keep his cool against Jan Zoma? Yes, he can! Erling Haaland doubles Dortmund's lead. Job completed by Hummels and Jane Sancho will set off and he's got pace and he's got pass lack in support and Erling Haaland! Game set match, Borussia Dortmund! Yeah, that was an emphatic win against Borussia Mönchengladbach and the 12th win on the bounce against the Falls. Uh, there were 9,300 fans in attendance at the Westfalenstadion on Saturday in the top spiel and really got to enjoy a really nice game of football, I will say. So, Adam, since uh, you are the guest, you will have the first word for your uh, initial reactions on, on uh, the lineup, which I think was pretty much the same as we saw in the Cup, uh, apart from Roman Bürki slotting back in. And then, sadly, uh, a bit later in the game, Torgen Hazard picked up an injury. But nevertheless, uh, what did you make of uh, Favre's pickings? Yeah, I guess it wasn't terribly surprising since it was the same lineup, uh, aside from Bürki, that we saw in the Cup. But... 
Uh, it was nice to see the, that uh, Torgan Hazard was still on the left wing back spot since he did so well in the cup there. Obviously terrible to see him leave the game so early. I was a little bit surprised, honestly, to see Bellingham and Reyna both in the starting lineup. Uh, I thought that it was because it was a cup game that they were both starting and that uh, maybe Julian Brandt and maybe others were being saved for uh, the Bundesliga start. But no, this is what, what Favre's really into right now is getting the 17-year-olds on the pitch. And that's both exciting, maybe a little bit nerve-wracking, but they both did really well, obviously, and very pleased with the 11 and how they did. Yeah, Matthias, I thought that uh, at least visually Gladbach were a bit more dominant in the first half, especially until uh, Dortmund scored. Uh, what did you make of the uh, opening minutes, half hour, whatnot uh, of the game? I thought it was pretty even. Uh, like you said, Gladbach played well. Roman Bürki with uh, really the only true save he had to make, and he had to make two of them right away, um, you know, and kind of that grabbing behind him move, which he, in first look um, at the in live action, it was kind of hard to tell. But then in replay, you saw just how good of a save it was. And that really, I mean, that saved Dortmund's bacon because, uh, no pun intended, because, of course, uh, that allowed the match still to stay nil-nil and then the kind of the rest resulted from there. I'll be honest, after Dortmund's first goal, it was still kind of even. But latest after the second goal, I just feel like Gladbach weren't really that present And I know Marco Rose said, well, if you look at the statistics, you know, it was a pretty even match. But if you actually look at the statistics and look a little bit past the basic, okay, you had 2% more possession, you had 1% more pass success, um, you won a few more tackles and, and obviously aerial duels as well. But if you look at, for instance, shots, very interesting. You know, don't want to add 10 to their eight. But uh, Gladbach, of their eight shots, only two were on target, whereas Dortmund, four on target, one on the woodwork. And from the, let's say, attacking trio of Dortmund, of Holland, Sancho, and Reyna, they produced seven shots. And the attacking trio of Wolf, Stindl, and Hoffmann uh, produced five shots, two of them in short sequence uh, that Birki saved. So really, I feel like after a while, Dortmund just were significantly more the aggressor, as you will, more proactive, whereas Gladbach seemed a little bit passive for long stretches of the match. And you can also see that just Dortmund attempted way more dribbles and uh, Gladbach were just happy to have the ball and Dortmund were okay with them having the ball because they weren't really doing much with it, it seems, after the first 30 minutes. Yeah, I think uh, Abel Mecharo's last episode was absolutely right when he said that it's probably a good time to play against Gladbach because uh, they were starting with Arturam and Plea and with Hannes Wolf, Laschinel and Jonas Hofmann, which are decent Bundesliga players, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's not the full strength attacking Gladbach, you can see. And uh, I think also without Zakaria in, in midfield, um, it's a bit of a different Gladbach side. I think uh, as the season progresses, we will see them uh, yeah, get on a, on a higher pace than uh, we've seen on Saturday. But, uh, you know, you can only beat the team that's in front of you. <laughs> so um, what, what I really liked about Dortmund's um, uh, front three or uh, four or however you want to see it is actually that... Uh, 
there was a lot of fluidity. You know, Dortmund had uh, the uh, back three and then they had the, the midfield with the four players, the, the two wingbacks, and then Bellingham and Witzel, even though Witzel was a bit deeper. And uh, then you had Reno and Sancho, I thought, did an excellent job of, of just floating around everywhere. They, they dropped quite deep at times and uh, I don't know, I thought they had a really good uh, tandem when it came to positional play to really connect uh, attack with midfield and defense, uh, which is something that Dortmund has historically sometimes done not so well, especially in the, in the Klopp and Tuchel era where and, and the Stuga era, of course, where they were uh, gaping holes and right now um, both have such a free-flowing role but uh, um, I think it's it's Favre just trusting that intelligence that both players sort of know uh, in, in which spaces to appear and, and to, to build cohesion and obviously um, with Arling Haaland right now you also have a striker which uh, really has an advantage over uh, Alcázar or Aubameyang in, in the sense that uh, you can punt it to him a little bit here and there and he will actually hold up the ball and that really helps Dortmund out a ton even if ha Haaland isn't too involved right now um, if he must his hold up play I think uh, is, is quite decent and uh, obviously a, a point where he still needs to improve but uh, already is doing well and I think has improved since he arrived at Dortmund so that's to to me a big positive and what I really liked is that um, uh, Emre Can had uh, some really nice attacking runs. He was overlapping Meunier and uh, then cutting him to the inside. I think there was one pass uh, toward Brandt, uh, uh, sorry, toward Jan, where he uh, then uh, yeah overlapped Meunier and, and got it in the box and then tried to cut back. I think that, that uh, pass ultimately was blocked. But uh, a couple of nice sequences where you can see what Dortmund are trying out in, in order to create chances against opponents. I think uh, in that particular sequence, uh, Axel Witzel then dropped back into the uh, back line. So there's always uh, someone to, to cover for these runs. And Dortmund certainly have, have these uh, players to do so. Now, um, Adam, I've said in the previous episode, or the one before, that we probably won't have to wait too long uh, for Gio Reyna's first Bundesliga goal. Now, uh, I will give him extra credit for celebrating it, not with a dab, uh, but um, that all being said, uh, how did you see his uh, performance from, from the start, which is obviously a bit of a new role for him now that he is, uh, you know, starting uh, in the first league game and the first cup game and uh, not just uh, someone who, who gets a run out in like the final game of the season or so. Uh, it, I find it very, very exciting. Uh, the finish that he made was just uh, a beautiful finish. He totally caught... Uh, Jan Sommer by surprise, it seems, just by by making that shot from that that point. And like you said, the fluidity uh, that he has with the front four, he has this great understanding with Holland. I feel like uh, the two of them link up incredibly well. I there's so much to like so far. I don't want to get too excited, but uh, well, yeah, uh, I I I I I, re I kept the word in the intro, the overhyped word, because I knew we we're gonna overhype this just as we did the cup game. But uh, so so that gives you, with that disclaimer, all the liberty you need to to hype as as much as you want. Now, well, I mean, you know, as an American, you're just kind of sitting here like, is he, is he better than Pulisic uh, at this point in his in his development? Maybe, and it feels like. Maybe he is. They're playing a different role. He's playing more centrally, which is far more important. And well, he, he's he's doing it. I mean, it's 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 a central role in this type of uh, offense, and that's 
not something that Pulisic was putting on his shoulders at this point. He was a, a winger who was just kind of, uh, you know, feeding uh, passes into the strikers and occasionally going for the goal himself. I just feel like Reyna's involved in everything right now, and it's it's very exciting to see. Yeah, Matthias, uh, how happy are you with uh, the American uh, citizenship <laughs> in your passports? Well, I mean, it's it's very positive. Um, I think. Um, I mean, everybody knows I've been pretty hard on the U.S. men's national team, which is an easy thing to be in the last few years, given how much of a dumpster fire uh, the U.S. men's national team has been. But what I like about Gio Reyna is he um, – okay, we're going to overhype, right? I mean, that's that's the theme right now. I'm not going to compare him at this stage and age with Christian Pulisic because of what Adam just said. Pulisic was more of a winger. Um, he, Giorena reminds me, and yes, this is overhyping, and hopefully his career trajectory after a certain time goes in a different direction, but he reminds me a little bit of Mario Goetze in, in the sense of the, at that age, his positional awareness, his passing intelligence, his, uh, off the ball movement and his finishing, because that goal, that finish was pretty superb. Um, so, uh, I, I think, uh, the future is bright for the men's, U.S. men's national team, provided they can get an actual real coach, uh, to coach them. But, uh, the talent pool is definitely deepening. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that uh, goal was obviously assisted by, uh, Jude Bellingham. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on, on his initial Bundesliga debut? Let's, let's just go all in and overhype. I feel like this guy is like, three times the player that I thought he was when we were even linked to him. Uh, just going back to, to Reyna for a second, like he, he completed 28 out of 29 passes. And I know that that that's not always like the perfect metric, but from how far ahead he's playing, it almost makes you wonder if like Favre sees him as, as like Brandt on a good day. And he just feels like he's far more likely to get that Brandt on a good day performance out of Reyna each time. But to, to bounce back to Bellingham, um, I don't even know where to start. Like this guy does everything already. Uh, he had a great performance in preseason and that made me wonder if like, it was just the, the, uh, uh, the opponents he was playing that we played some pretty low level opponents there, but then he did it in the cup and now he's doing it against Gladbach. And it makes me wonder like, what is the limit for this guy? He's already playing against like a champions league club and he's, he's holding his own. So it's very easy to get super hyped about this and, and, Here I am doing it. <laughs> yeah, which is only fair. I mean, uh, when there's reason to be excited, even if it's early in the season, I think uh, you should just enjoy it while it lasts. So uh, might, as, might as well uh, uh, do that now. But yeah, I also think that Bellingham is uh, here to stay and uh, he has a lot of uh, skills readily available, uh, as we've discussed previously. Um, but I will also give a shout out, especially in this game, to Axel Witzel, because uh, Gladbach tried to press Dortmund in uh, multiple ways and I thought that his press resistance and his positioning uh, which is usually uh, on the mark very early in the season was uh, once again excellent and uh, really allowed Dortmund um, to to evade Gladbach and not allow many chances and not have silly turnovers and uh, makes this performance overall even though you had a lot of uh, young players up top a very mature performance I would say uh, especially this early in the season um, 
maybe this is this is the time to zoom out a little bit and then look at the bigger picture of how Dortmund have progressed under Lucien Favre and uh, and what uh, team they have available right now. And I think it just um, needs to be credited that uh, they managed to beat Gladbach this dominantly. 3-0 without too many scares, also not late in the game, it was all very controlled and uh, Axel Witzel, I thought, uh, played a big part in that. So um, this is uh, for for the overall uh, hype <laughs> going down the season, probably uh, the most important takeaway that Dortmund now have uh, acquired a level of maturity where they can play against such an opponent uh, w- without... Uh, yeah, too many nerves, and uh, we we know in the past uh, how nervy Dortmund can be. Obviously, this is subject to change, and uh, another team can maybe uh, uh, provoke different things from Dortmund. But uh, from what we've seen so far, and looking back at the uh, last season, I, I think there is a development that uh, you know deserves some some uh, honorary mention. And uh, yeah, um, also obviously. Uh, while, while we're with the honorary mentions here, uh, Felix Paslak coming on, uh, not having played for Dortmund in uh, many years and uh, playing that performance, I know. Uh, he probably should have gotten uh, the 3 nothing, and he probably should have had an assist on one counterattack, on one breakaway where he probably should have passed it to Haaland and not to Hummels, uh, who we all know cannot cross with his left foot. Tried anyway and looked pretty similar to what happens when I try to cross with my left foot off balance and the ball just goes wayward but uh yeah he had to come on like 15 minutes into the game where you've just cooling down after your initial warm-up pre-game so um yeah not easy for him but i thought he did an excellent job and was super super solid uh on on the left side and uh if rafael Guerrero won't be fit in time for the next game uh um I'm not really uh, worried about having Paslak in that lineup, uh, which is just very positive. And I think Sebastian Kiel said yesterday that uh, Dortmund have right now no plan of selling him. And why? I mean, uh, Dortmund's fullbacks are sort of dropping like flies and Paslak can be utilized left and right. Um, obviously, there's uh, Marius Wolf hanging around, but for the left side, at least, uh, Paslak is, to me, the better option. Uh, Matthias, your thoughts on uh, Paslak making uh, such a... Uh, come back to the surprise of everyone, including himself, probably. Yeah, I think the only um, comeback with greater surprise was uh, last season in Paraborn, Marcel Schmelzer. Um, but uh, Paslak, I didn't didn't think he would possibly come on. But when you really look at the bench and you see who is available, then I guess it, it kind of made sense, unless you would have put, you know... They could have theoretically put a kanji out there and and this stuff, but I guess Fava just didn't want to mess. I mean, he could have even put Chan out there, but he decided to just go with a guy who's actually a trained fullback, and he did exceedingly well against a Gladbach side that even without uh, Playad uh, Turam can pose questions to fullbacks, and no, it was super solid. The entire back line really didn't seem concerned or overly threatened too many times that's why i i reject that uh extreme silver lining press conference from marco rosa where he said you know basically we were more or less on equal terms and you weren't because the gladbach defense was under far more duress 
than the Dortmund defense ever was in this match, aside from one scene. But Gladbach had multiple of those scenes and obviously conceded a few goals accordingly. Yeah, Adam, your thoughts on uh, Mr. Pasluck making his comeback? Yeah, I mean, it was great to see. I mean, yeah, they were missing a few players in Gladbach, but but they weren't missing Stefan Leiner. And that's that's a guy that I was worried about going into this, that he would be matched up against Torgan Hazard first. And, you know, in, in his 18 minutes or so, Torgan basically had Leiner in his back pocket, did really well with him, and Passlock picked up right where he left off. I feel like Leiner was really kind of neutralized uh, through the whole game, which was great because I, I think that uh, he's a very strong player, obviously, can run like crazy. And even though pace isn't uh, Passlock's thing, uh, he certainly held his own against him. And like you said, the, the attacking passes and... I, I feel like, uh, yeah, there was that one great one early on that he had to, to Holland where he kind of dribbled it off of his nose and then launched it up. And and uh, Holland probably could have put that one away. And uh, he made a couple of runs there. I mean, if there's one thing that I, I can relate to as a football player is when a a, a player looks at you, decides, no, I, I actually don't want to pass to you right now. I'd rather go to somebody else. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that happened a couple of times in that game, too. Yeah, yeah, but uh, overall very, very positive uh, and uh, encouraging, really. Also speaks for the overall structure and balance, because if you uh, need to change uh, parts, let's say, uh, on a very old machine, it, it usually uh, works if you plug in someone else. And uh, I think that's a symptom of a good team. So uh, I'm obviously very happy. Um, Matthias, uh, I think the penalty shot... Um, or the, the penalty that Dortmund in the end actually got and Thailand converted um, came off a counterattack and then uh, the, the final goal, the 3-0 uh, before uh, human victory cigars, Marco Reus and Julian Brandt were subbed in to quote Lars Polman. Um, uh, yeah, also a counterattack. So something that makes me really happy because I think if I had criticized one thing repeatedly last season is that Dortmund were a bit too careless with their counter-attacking uh, situations so uh, given how well they did is this something you think we'll see more consistently or do you think Gleppop were just a little silly in allowing it I think it's a combination of both uh, now I will you know raise one red flag in that there were two situations earlier in the match where Jaden Sancho just didn't pass the ball to Holland was once maybe I don't remember who the second situation was where if he would have played the pass Dortmund would have scored a goal because of the way the situation unfolded but instead Sancho held onto the ball and dribbled a little bit more and just slowed down the the pace of the game and I'll be honest on that counterattack I was worried because he was waiting and waiting and waiting before he played that pass and if you look at the replay of it he never really looked at to the right where Holland was running he just kind of played it into the space where he expected a guy to be which that's what shows a, a great player and <clears throat> automatisms <laughs> in attack but uh, I do have that concern because it happened a couple of times I mean Dortmund could have put this match away arguably 10 20 minutes earlier had Sancho played the pass that 
thankfully, in that situation, he did play. But I have to say, the pre-assist has to go to Mats Hummels, who headed the ball right into um, Sancho's path and then kept running forward, which really surprised me. I mean, Holland blew past him eventually, which isn't surprising. But um, if if Dortmund is as efficient as they were in this match moving forward, then uh, I think uh, they're, they're in store for a very good season. Yeah, obviously you can't uh, expect uh, 100% of the counterattacks to come to fruition. That's just completely unrealistic. But uh, I think finishing off two, uh, in, in effect, uh, if you include that penalty, it's already a pretty strong showing and then more or less all, all that you need. And uh, really goes to show how important right now it is for Dortmund to take a lead uh, in, in the game because uh, I think one Gladbach could have maybe gone ahead as well, but once Dortmund did... I thought they really used it to, to their own advantage and, uh, you know, it never really felt like Lapach had too much of a lifeline coming into this game. Now, uh, that being said, Adam, I think there was a penalty shot of Mats Hummels bringing down uh, Jonas Hofmann, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he sort of tumbled him over in the box. The ball was uh, already gone. I'm not entirely sure if it was Hoffmann or not, but uh, to me it was a penalty. Uh, uh, VAR did not intervene uh, in in the sense that uh, Dr. Felix Brüch, the referee, went to uh, the, the review area as he did for Dortmund's penalty. Uh, what did you make of that no call? To me, it looked like it was the trailing leg that that caused the the issue with this one too, uh, kind of like the one that uh, was called for Dortmund as well. Now, with Reina's penalty uh that he drew i feel like i'm not positive if the the front foot was taken or if it was the trailing leg that was taken out i still could not tell after like all of those those replays but yeah i totally agree with you i don't understand how one's a penalty and one's not yeah neither do i i think Dortmund just got really lucky unless matthias you have a diverging opinion i do Actually, I, um, so I will say it's a foul, but it's not a penalty. I mean, how often do we see matches where a defender comes in and shoulder checks an attacker and it's not a penalty? I, I can't really remember many situations where that's called a penalty. Um, if it's outside the box, I do, you know, it has been called a foul on occasion, but for the most part, Refs, be it in Germany, um, Italy, England, so on, don't tend to call the shoulder charge a penalty or even a foul that often. So, yes, was I mean, technically it was a foul and then a penalty because he didn't attempt to play the ball. He played the man. So by those rules, yes. But if you look at the consistency, which is always something I bemoan about refereeing consistently across the board shoulder checks don't tend to get called so foul yes penalty no if that makes sense all right fair enough i i can live with it and i think ultimately the decision that uh, the refereeing team also came up with uh, even though i think when you when you look at the feet on the on the ground and matsumel sort of tangling up with hofmann or whoever the hell it was uh yeah, I I can I can uh, not complain if uh, the ref points to the spot, but obviously uh, since this is the yellow wall pot and not the uh, North Cover pot or whatever uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach have in their Borussia Park, um, yeah, uh, it's 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 a good no call. I I, I totally agree. So <laughs> um, yeah, moving on, uh, Adam. Uh, Unless you have some final thoughts on, on the Gladbach game, maybe Marco Royce or, or so, something else, I think we can uh, turn our attention to Augsburg. 
just that it was great to see Marco Royce. Other than that, I think we can go to Augsburg. All right, all right. So uh, disclaimer: I've not really uh, prepared much for the Augsburg game. My note sheet is literally blank, other than that uh, they beat Union Berlin three to one uh, on the opening match day. And uh, yeah, that that's that's pretty much it. Uh, Adam, have you uh, made more use of the ESPN Plus? Uh, account that you probably have and uh, watched the Augsburg game or at least highlights of that game to tell me what uh, Dortmund can expect now. I did check out some highlights, um, but uh, not the full match. And uh, I also did check out the uh, the match report on FB Ref, of course, to look for some interesting stats and a couple of players that stood out to me in, in uh, the, the first match against Union, of course, was uh, the fact that they have Gregorich back, which uh, they got back from Schalke, who who he left, did nothing at Schalke, came back and scored a goal, which it seems like that's something that that we seem to see a lot. And uh, then another thing that I noticed was uh, Daniel Caligiuri, who left Schalke on a free and went to, to Augsburg, ended up uh, getting 25 pressures, which would have been more than any Schalke player got this week, and they really could have used that. Yeah, and obviously Vargas scored a goal. Uh, this is uh, obviously a high alert for Dortmund because last time uh, Dortmund met Augsburg early in the season, he, I think I don't know if he scored or assisted, but uh, he made Lukas Piszczek look really old. Uh, so um, Augsburg definitely have some weapons. They obviously uh, now have Gikiewicz in their uh, uh, goal, which is interesting, sort of swapped with Union Berlin there. Uh, and yeah, otherwise... Uh, a pretty uh, normal side, I would say. A pretty normal Augsburg team with uh, Kedira and Grezo in uh, in midfield and Haulau and Udukai uh, as, as centre-backs. So, um, yeah, there are obviously a lot of uh, 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 teams in the Bundesliga that will fight for the midfield spots and I, I believe Augsburg will be one of them. I don't necessarily see them as a side that will battle relegation. I think they will finish in a comfortable like 13 or 12 spots Matthias uh, do you have any intel on uh, Saturday's opponent well unlike you two slackers I watched the entire match of Augsburg against Union Berlin because we do have ESPN plus and thankfully no longer Fox Sports um, no, but I mean I actually did watch the entire match and the highlights so there uh, my my thoughts are I still think Augsburg are a relegation candidate as long as Heiko Herrlich is their manager. <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest, they got blind ass lucky against Union Berlin uh, because Union Berlin, who I picked to get relegated, um, are just really bad. They are not a good team. Now, you would think about Augsburg where you kind of know – they're going to be physical, they're going to play longer balls, and they're going to cross the ball a lot. They've got Niederlechner and Grigorovic, right? And Union Berlin are going to play physical, long balls, and cross the ball a lot, right? To think that both teams were not able to properly defend crossed ball, I mean, think about it. of the goals scored... Um, you had a few headers go in. And two of the goals that Union Berlin conceded, um, which uh, are, you know, the Vargas goal and the Grigoric goal, were both the same goal. It was a simple cross from out wide. Once it was Framberger, once it was Iago. And the player, be it Vargas or Grigoric, 
standing completely unmarked between two central defenders in Knoche and Friedrich, who didn't had a horrendous day, who stood very far apart, and it was an open header. That will not happen with Dortmund because, guess what? There are three defenders in the middle. Uh, so they're not going to get quite that open of a look. Um, the fact that most of the attacking play came over the uh, Augsburg left side, so Vargas and Iago, that's the side of Chan, Meunier, and so on. And, of course... Um, Oftentimes, you'll have Sancho come across that side. So I feel like there'll be a better balance to defend against that side. I'm not worried about Framberger and Kalijuri going up against whoever is on the Dortmund left side. Uh, Niederlechner is always uncomfortable, but he's not really a great goal scorer. Obviously, that means he's going to score a goal. Um, you know, Gregoric is the one and Vargas are the two that really concern me. But I feel like we've got more with Meunier. And Sean, on that side, there's a lot more solidity to be able to stop Vargas from, you know, all those long ball counterattacks that I remember seeing at the Westfalenstadion uh, the last time they played against each other. So Augsburg did not play well. Union just actually played worse. And the the key, if you look at it, in the entire uh, Dortmund-Gladbach match, there were 10 aerial challenges. Over 90 minutes. In this match, Augsburg in Berlin, there were 47. So that alone tells you what these two teams are all about. The other thing is, of course, there were 25 uh, challenges, tackles in the Dortmund-Gladbach match. There were 33 in this one. So you're going to look for long balls, crosses, and physicality. It's going to be a typical Augsburg being nasty type match. Um, their defenders, Urokai, is pretty good. Govalov, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, he's okay. Kikovic is the the main thing. He's an, actually he's a huge upgrade over uh, what Augsburg had in goal, and he will save them some points, like he did against Union Berlin. Union Berlin almost had sixty percent of the possession, pass success of eighty one versus seventy four percent, and outshot them fifteen to nine. And most of the Augsburg shots were uh, off target, but they did block six of those uh, Berlin shots. So it kind of shows you their tactic is they're just going to try to low block the hell out of Dortmund. And we know that always produces a frustrating match. So it's going to be difficult. But Augsburg, in my opinion, are not very good. Well, I will uh, defer that question over to you, Adam, because uh, I think Matthias really nicely laid out what kind of match uh, Dortmund can expect. Uh, it's a classic uh side that will try to hit Dortmund on the counter, do you think that they will be successful with uh, the likes of uh, Gerigoric and Vargas? Uh, well, Vargas, like, like you said, scared us last time, uh, made Piszczek look really old. Uh, and Gigovic, like like Matthias said, that's, that's the main difference from last year that I see. Like, Gigovic is going to bring his unreal long ball ability and make for a really weird match, I think. So Gikovic is one of my favorite statistical goalkeepers. Uh, FB ref has this stat called progressive passing yardage, which is the, the passing distance toward the goal, not towards the end line, but toward the goal. And, and, uh, goalkeepers tend to get a lot of it, but Gikovic kicked the ball 
progressively three miles longer than literally anybody else in Europe. Like that's how far he is ahead. That's not even an exaggeration. He was 5,280 yards longer than anybody else in Europe, more than Jordan Pickford, who was second. So there's going to be a lot of like just leaving the midfield out of the entire game. So he's going to be launching these balls and uh, we're going to need our, our defenders to get these aerial duels in. Like, like Matthias said, there's going to be a lot more aerial duels in this one. Niederlechner is going to be trying to get these off of Hummels and Chan and, and Akanji. And that's, that's going to be where a big part of the game is. As soon as Gikovic gets it, it's just going to be launched. Yeah, I think this is uh, where uh, the likes of Jude Bellingham also comes in handy over, say, Julian Brandt, because I think he also adds some aerial prowess, and uh, I feel like this Augsburg uh, game might actually remind them of the uh, English championship tier. So uh, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, Matthias, do you think that Dortmund will make uh, any changes to the lineup, minus Hazard, of course, who is out injured? Um That, that are necessary, especially with the uh, Super Cup uh, on the uh, mid midweek game in mind? I don't necessarily see Lucien Favre putting a lot of importance on the Super Cup. Um, getting as many points as possible, especially against these types of difficult opponents that somehow like to steal points from Dortmund, uh, is a higher priority. So I expect the same lineup... Um, obviously then Pasolak will start at left back unless Guerrero is fit. Uh, so that's really the only change I see. Other than that, why change? Everyone is in a good flow, playing well. And like I said, I mean, Jude Bellingham, he adds that defensive solidity that also frees up Witzel a little bit. So, um, you know, if he's putting, if he's pairing him with someone who's more attacking, that means Witzel has to be a little bit more defensive. So, uh, I, I wouldn't change anything unless, of course, Guerrero's fit, then I'd put him at the left wing back position. Yeah, the last time Dortmund faced Augsburg was obviously the, the, the famous almost uh, turnaround game where Arling Haaland came on and scored a hat trick as a substitute in his uh, very first game for Dortmund and obviously created a big hype and a lot of headlines. Um, Matthias already mentioned uh, Heiko Herrlich or Heiko Herrlich being uh, the guy on the touchline. Adam, do you think that uh, A, Augsburg will cause Dortmund a lot of trouble in this game as they've previously done and B, that uh, eventually they uh, will concede or lose due to their own stupidity, like, say, eating two counterattacks or three counterattacks, uh, uh, including Erling Haaland? I, this, is, this is a tough question. I thought about this one a lot because last, last season, both the games against Augsburg Dortmund scored five times. Now, one of them they conceded once, one of them they conceded three times. So um, as far as what kind of match we're going to see here, obviously Gikovic is better, but another wild card is the fact that Augsburg has Gregorich, Niederlechner, Finn Bogus, and Vargas, all of them healthy now, which uh, I don't know the last time that that's happened. So they will have some attacking talent out there. So we could get burned on a couple of counterattacks. But then again, we've got the three at the back, which makes for a much more stable uh, defense, which... Uh, we only had one time when we faced them uh, last season. I don't know if I answered the question. I probably circled it several times, though. Yeah, I, I, there's not a definitive question. I guess we just have to uh, wait and see what happens. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, Adam, also to you, the same question. Uh, any big changes you would make to the lineup or would you keep it uh, as much as intact as possible, especially considering... The Super Cup right now is uh, usually an overhyped 
preseason friendly, but now that the uh, Bundesliga is already ongoing, uh, I, I think it's uh, the least relevant it has ever been. So uh, I would not put any emphasis on this game at all. So I would just uh, uh, use use the Super Cup maybe as, as really a friendly and, and things to try out and, and concern myself more with uh, Bundesliga points where... Uh, uh, you you want to win stuff, so in in that context, would you make any changes? Yeah, you know, I, I would love to see uh, Dortmund just forget about the Super Cup as well, but I think there is a psychological uh, blow you can take by losing big to to Bayern, and this is the one trophy that Bayern didn't win last season, so they might be pretty interested in taking this one. I. I don't think that they're going to change the lineup because I think this is now the first choice lineup, which leads to some questions that I have about like, where does uh, Julian Brandt fit in with things right now? Uh, he's only playing a little bit of, uh, off the, off the bench. So maybe he's going to get a look in the, in the super cup and this is going to be his chance to have a big match. Yeah, Adam, uh, I, I'll just uh, ricochet that question right back at you because uh, right now, when we see Julian Brandt being brought on, um, usually with, Royce in tandem, Favre switches more to a 3-5-2 and you see Royce then leading the line and, and Brunt actually not uh, coming on for the number 8, which would be Bellingham, but more for the number 10-ish guy, uh, which is Girena. Uh I think that's a bit of a change to, to last season, uh, just in, in the position for Brunt. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure what Favre sees as his strongest position right now, or if he even fits in in the uh, in the lineup that he's using right now, the three four one two. So I'm not really sure how to answer that. Uh, he's he's having a tough time fitting in right now, and I think that obviously uh, Favre wanted to have two teams worth of players, so he's going to have to work these players in, and I think the Super Cup is a chance to do it. So I think. Uh, getting him in that number 10, maybe with Royce leading the line, since these are the two that have not been starting from the beginning. It's probably a way to do that in the Super Cup. Yeah, I wonder if we also get Genier to uh, see in the Super Cup. Matthias, same question to you. Uh, what's uh, in store for Julian Brandt in the coming weeks and match days? Well, I think he's going to play in the Super Cup. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, I really hope he's not uh, this season's Mario Götze. I know we kind of made that joke, um, but it would be pretty bad. I, I think he'll get back into the flow. And, you know, there's so many matches still to come, uh, just even this calendar year, let alone this season. Uh, he's going to get plenty of time and, and try to build his confidence back. I think it's actually a good thing uh, to to do this with him versus all the expectations that were on him because he really had a flat second half of the season, whereas a lot of the, his teammates actually had a really good second half of the season. So giving him a little bit of a respite now that you have multiple options, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I actually think it's an excellent thing because uh, that uh, actually lights a little fire on his butt and, uh, you know, sends him the message that uh, he can take a starting spot at Dortmund for granted and needs to work a little harder, which is something uh, I think uh, Julian Brandt definitely needs to do, especially in the defensive department. Uh, I think he, you know, could use the, the 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 gym a little bit more. I think he needs to bulk up a little bit, uh, get a bit more physical and, uh, you know, get himself in a, in, a, in a better shape, which I think will only complement his overall game because his technique 
uh, I don't want to say it's flawless, but it's uh, pretty darn uh, excellent. And uh, he has so many skills. And I think if he boosts his fitness levels, his stamina, and, and all these kinds of attributes, uh, I think that will make a better play out of him. And I think uh, for him right now, the, the path back into the starting 11, if he wants to be there, uh, it's it's exactly that. It's gaining more fitness and, and physicality. Uh, is something where, where he is lacking, especially in comparison to Bellingham, who is a couple of years younger than him. So um, overall, I think that's very good. Also, uh, it's nice to see that uh, uh, Lucien Favre is making use of Thomas Delaney as well and, and switching that up a little bit with uh, Bellingham. I think uh, that substitution also depends a bit on the scoreline. Um, but nevertheless... Uh, um, yeah, it's it's nice to see that he's utilizing most of his midfielders, uh, given Modahul hasn't featured yet. But um, yeah, there's a lot of competition, and I, I think that really helps Dortmund in the long run. And uh, as you guys both mentioned, uh, with the season being this long, uh, yeah, uh, there, there's little doubt that everyone will give uh, get get plenty amount of playing time. And who knows uh, what injuries will do to the team? I mean, uh, it's already starting. Uh, unfortunately so yeah uh, that's obviously a factor and in the end we'll be lucky if we find two guys to play the double pivot who knows but um, yeah uh, I think we can go on to predictions and uh, I think uh, yeah I don't know if we'll ex extra preview the Super Cup or not so maybe just predict this as well now so Matthias you can go first what's the uh, final score against Augsburg and then against Bayern in the Super Cup so I think against Augsburg, I think Dortmund will win 4-1 because Daniel Caligiuri plays for Augsburg and seemingly he just scores against Dortmund. So it'll be, I don't know, some kind of set piece or something. But I think Dortmund will win 4-1 against a subpar Augsburg. And I think Dortmund will lose in the Super Cup to 2-0. All right, Adam. Thinking 3-1 because I have a 3-1 Dortmund win against Augsburg because I have a little bit more faith in Givkovic, I guess. And uh, in the Super Cup, uh, I'm afraid uh, we're going to see a 3-1 again. This one not on the side of Dortmund. Yeah, my prediction is actually that Dortmund score four on Augsburg, but I also uh, foresee that both Grigoric and Kaligiri will grab a goal against Dortmund. So the final score in my prediction against Augsburg is 4-2. And I also think that Bayern will win this 3 to 1 who knows maybe they uh, even have more fun and and uh, just just uh, uh, completely shellac Dortmund which is obviously a good segment uh, segue to our Schalke segment because Schalke may obviously get relegated this season who knows uh, the only bright spot i think in their eight Nothing shellacking by Bayern Munich uh, was maybe Paciencia. He looked okayish, but otherwise than that, that was a terrible game. So, Adam, uh, I think I've requested you to look for stats which uh, expose how terrible Schalke are right now. So, uh, please uh, uh, come forward with uh, what you have prepared for us. Oh gosh, the, there were there were uh, some stats for sure to to show how bad Schalke was. Uh, so I mentioned the progressive passing distance before. So on the match day, they had the the second fewest progressive passing yards of any team. Just mines had a lower total, and we also have progressive carrying yards, which is just uh, movement towards the goal with the ball at your feet. And they were second worst in that. And uh, 
the same team was not uh, trailing them that time as Freiburg. So overall, they had the the fewest progressive yards uh, overall in the entire match day. Which part of that, of course, is uh, that they're facing Bayern Munich, but part of that is uh, just they were really that bad. Like some of it too is they they had pretty low possession against Bayern, but look at a team like Arminia Bielefeld, they had uh, very low possession as well. I think they just had an extra percent higher than Schalke, but they had considerably more uh, progressive yardage. They were moving the ball more, even though they didn't have it quite as much. So that was pretty bad. Another thing that I I, uh, alluded to before was the number of pressures applied. So the the player with the most pressures in that Bayern match uh, was Thomas Muller, and he had more than any player on Schalke. Schalke did have a few more. They had a, had 149 pressures to Bayern's 140. Now, when you consider the the difference between the amounts of possession the teams had, and you possession adjust those, it's more like Bayern had like 189, and Schalke was more like 118. So Bayern was scoring more, and man, they were just trying harder. So there's uh, there's there's that to point to as well, uh, and it's another way to reflect that too is that Bayern made only 11% of their passes while they were under pressure, whereas Schalke made 22% of their passes while a Bayern player was pressuring them. So just just a pressuring onslaught from from Bayern and and Schalke was not living up to it. Yeah, and uh, as you previously mentioned, that uh, both Grigoric and Kali Jury looked uh, rather okay for Augsburg, also not uh, great for Schalke. Um, Matthias, uh, I'll, I'll phrase this question a little bit differently. Do you think it was smart of the Deutsche Fußballliga to schedule this sort of uh, um, e- yeah easily predictable uh, shellacking, stomping, whatever you want to call it, uh, as really the Bundesliga opener for uh, ESPN? to showcase the new league and and, and whatnot, considering how terrible Schalke are. And uh, obviously Bayern now right from the get-go in first place and Schalke right from the get-go in last place. Well, you know, it's difficult because obviously the the curtain raiser of the Bundesliga season now for a number of years has been the defending champion starting on a Friday night. Uh, could they may ha- maybe have put somebody else in there aside from Schalke? Okay, yeah, maybe. Obviously, the best one would have been maybe Dortmund against Bayern from the get go. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, I don't really Dortmund against Gladbach I, I would like have been the, a the, better the pick showcase last, last but, season when it was Hertha, and I think it ended in a two all draw. Yeah, it. It's it wasn't great, but it's Bayern. They won the triple, a treble, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're the best team in the world right now. I, you can't blame them for wanting to showcase the most popular German team, especially abroad. Um, and they definitely showcased themselves. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it, Schalke is just. I mean, they're just abjectly crap right now, and and it's just not going to get much better. Granted, it probably can't get much worse, right? <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, I don't foresee them losing this high again uh, before playing Bayern. But who knows? Uh, uh, yeah, um, so the rumor mill has it that uh, the successor of David Wagner could be Mark Wilmots, uh, former <laughs> former known as, as Belgium coach, a uh, very unsuccessful Belgium coach. Uh, Matthias, you, you already laughed. Um, I think this this would make things actually even worse. Uh, <laughs> Willi das Kampfschwein. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, what, what I what? I mean, come on, man. Really? I mean, this is Tenyus isn't there anymore. You don't have to do stupid shit anymore, Schalke. You can actually do something halfway intelligent. And of the people on this kind of shortlist and rumor mill, Zendro Schwarz is on there, who I think actually kind of, yeah, okay, but they also, I think they conceded eight in a match at Mainz. I, I can't remember exactly, but or seven, I don't know, a lot. Uh, but uh, Zandro Schwarz would make way more sense than than Wilmots. Um, I mean, Wilmots, that's the that's such a Schalke move. I mean that that's like I don't that's like Dortmund bringing in Jürgen Kohler as the next manager. I mean, Kohler is a legend, and I will always love the man. But and and Wilmots as a Schalke player was legend, cult fantastic but i mean give me a break i mean that's just oh god i you know go for it man i mean schalke if you if you're desperate to get relegated get mark Wilmots, do us that favor because if if schalke are that stupid then they deserve to get relegated and i won't feel bad at all i mean i've always said i think we said it last season I don't really want Schalke get relegated because we don't need more uh, Wolfsburgs and Leipzigs and we lose these traditional clubs like a Hamburg or a Kaiserslautern or even a Schalke and you would lose the Revierderby, which is a key element of the Bundesliga. But if you're just so desperate to shoot yourself in the foot, um, you know, go for it, man. You deserve it. Yeah, Adam, did you see a relegation candidate there on the field on Friday night? Uh, I think the most simple way to answer is probably yes. I mean, it, it's hard to uh, gauge it, too, because Bayern also just put up eight against Barcelona, and they're probably not a, a relegation candidate. But this this just felt it, felt... it felt bad, plus it's 17 matches in a row that it's felt this bad. So it's feeling like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I should have mentioned that right at the start. It's basically a whole half series that Schalke now are winless, which is honestly amazing. And uh, yeah, what what is more likely that uh, Schalke fail to win a single game this season or that uh, Bayern uh, win every game this season uh, or, or go unbeaten, Adam? Uh, what do you think is, is the more likely uh, likelier case? I think someone made a Twitter poll out of this. Oh, gosh, I'd probably go with Bayern winning every game, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, um, yeah, I think we can wrap it up here now uh, that we have uh, reveled in uh, enough Schadenfreude. Well, there's never enough Schadenfreude, but you know what I mean. Um, Matthias, uh, thanks again for coming on and uh, opining on the old Ballspielverein. Uh, please tell all listeners how to get in touch with you on the Twitter webs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Huck. Very well. And Adam, also thank you to you for coming on and lending us your expertise and uh, your insight with the statistics. So please also tell our listeners how to get in touch with you on the Bird app. Oh, sure thing. It's Foosball Twit on Twitter. The, uh, the, those hockey-style stats that you mentioned are at Dorowski.com slash And the, the rest of the stats I talk about are on FBref. Yeah, very well. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko and you can find all of us at Yellow Wall Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to read our written content, 
you will find that on theyellowwall.net. And if you want to contribute financially, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall. You can subscribe to this podcast via YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. And uh, as always, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>